0: It's so good to see all of you here today. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, glad you're a part of our service today. Before we go into our worship set, let me remind you of a couple things. First of all, um, you know, Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all those things. The holidays are here, and uh, we're just going to embrace them, right? Step into it. And so some of what I share this morning will be uh, in regards to our holiday schedule. So you want to pay careful, careful attention. Uh, first first of all, this Tuesday, uh, don't forget morning prayer at 10 o'clock here in the sanctuary. If you can come be a part of that morning prayer this Tuesday. And then also I'm happy to announce and excited to announce that next Sunday, Brother Chris Gonzalez will be ministering in the service at 11 o'clock. And you're going to be blessed by his ministry. We're looking forward to having him here. Uh, So come and bring a friend. That is next Sunday. Now regarding our Christmas schedule, our holiday schedule, notice that uh, on Sunday, December the 10th, everybody say December the 10th, we will be having the Grace Church Christmas banquet. We'll be back over at Forest Grove Plantation in Denham Springs, and the time will be from 6 to 9. So December the 10th, everybody say 6 to 9. That will be our Grace Church Christmas banquet. And uh, you can go online on Easy Tithe to uh, to buy your tickets. The Under, five, uh, under uh, age 5 is free. Ages 5 to 12, $7.50. And then ages 13 and up will be $15 for those tickets. And we'll need you to do that before next Sunday to have your tickets purchased. I am happy to say that Brother David Beckton will be with us at our Christmas banquet. You're going to enjoy um, his presentation. I'll just say it that way. You will enjoy his presentation. It's something that uh, all ages, young and old, will, will really, really be glad that you came and participated in. And then on Sunday, December 17th, if I say the 17th, will be the Grace Church Christmas service. That will be in the 11 o'clock service. Always a special, special service. I love celebrating celebrating Christmas with our Grace Church family. And that will be a great service to bring a guest to as well. And then finally, that, that same Sunday, the 17th, we will be receiving our Christmas for Christ offering. And so you'll want to be prepared to give in that service. God bless you today. Are you ready to worship the Lord? Amen. Stand with me. Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And uh, we're in an environment today, the Holy Ghost is here, and if you need any of those things, they are available to you today. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Why don't we make a joyful noise to the Lord today and worship as the praise team comes.
1: i
2: I feel the presence of the Lord very strongly in this place this morning. I, I, I don't know, I had no personal revelation as to who specifically would be in today's auditorium. But I do believe that the Lord has given me some insight into what you have carried with you into this place this morning. I believe the Lord has given me some insight into some burdens, some issues that you have been facing in your life this morning, and you have carried those into a holy place, a place that God can do something miraculous, so it doesn't really matter if I knew who would be here because God knew. It doesn't matter that I knew. It just matters that God knew. And I believe that our Lord, the creator and the architect of all things, the origin of space and time and matter, knew that each of you would, would be in this service on this day at this time. This realization to me is extremely exciting. It is exciting because of the hope that is represented in Jesus Christ. And what is contained in his word and what I feel that I have to deliver as a message here this morning. It is my sincere prayer this morning that you would be inspired by the truth of his word. And the message and the good news of God to exit that place of darkness that has overtaken your life. There is a pall of darkness that hangs over some of your minds and over your hearts. And that is unacceptable to my God. That is unacceptable to my God. That is my hope for you this morning. So if you can join with me in prayer before you're seated. So that God can do his work in your life. Lord, we love you. We appreciate you so much this morning. We know, Lord God, that you are able. There is nothing too great for you, Lord Jesus. But there is a power in you, Lord Jesus, that you want to extend to the people that are in this place this morning that you want to transform lives, that you want to elevate their comprehension of who you are, to draw them out, Lord Jesus, of the darkness that has assaulted them up until this time, Lord, in your precious and holy name we pray. Everyone say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. My text this morning will come from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And this narrative, and I don't know if I'm going to preach or teach this morning. Maybe I'm going to do both. Maybe I'm going to treach. I don't know. We'll see what happens. This narrative takes place as Jesus begins his Galilean ministry. The moment when he announces that God's kingdom is at hand and that he's And he is confronting the evil and the depravity of the sinful world in which he stepped. Verse 12 says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 14, that is, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying. The following two verses are very important. Verses 15 and 16 are shared as evidence of Jesus' fulfillment of prophecy. It says this, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light is dawned." I'm going to come back. You can be seated. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. scriptures that I've read up to this point is an affirmation of the Messianic identity as well as a commentary on those who in this region lived in a specific state of being. These people being addressed are said to be existing in a condition of spiritual darkness. The focus of my message this morning, however, isn't the confirmation of Jesus' identity as Messiah. I believe that we here understand, at least intellectually, the divinity of Jesus Christ. I believe that we understand that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. Can I get an amen? And that his death and his burial and his resurrection is that good news that has liberated mankind from the penalty of sin. Amen? I believe that everyone here, or most everyone here, understands that his death on the cross was that atoning sacrifice that once and for all satisfied our sin debt. I stand here free from the penalty of sin because of the work of Christ on the cross. That is the fundamental message that has to be preached across pulpits in this, pulpits in this nation. And I believe we understand that. What drew me to this message, this passage of Scripture, that depicts the beginning of Jesus' ministry is the vocabulary of, used to describe the work of God and the effect of God upon the environment and condition of those that need Him so desperately. The work of God and the effect of God upon an environment that some here this morning, I believe, some that may be hearing me across Facebook Live or whatever streaming service they use may be struggling with in their lives. We go back to verse 15, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Verse 16, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. There is within the language of verse 16 a revelation, not only of the intentions of Jesus toward humanity, but a depiction of a desperate state of being that exists in the lives of individuals who, have, who may have knowledge of God, but who remain bound in the darkness of their lives. That's what it's depicting in that scripture. We are in the holiday season. Don't get me started on the commercialization. That's not in my notes. I'm not going to chase that rabbit hole. But we are in the holiday season, a time in which people have a knowledge of Christ, a knowledge of Christ, but it doesn't permeate their lives to the point where it liberates them from the darkness that they're in. They'll exchange a gift with lives saturated with sin and pain and never extend their minds that that the reason for this season can actually, actually extract me from the pain that I'm in. They would rather exchange a gift and live in the darkness. Verse 16, this beautiful revelation of the power of the Messiah that paints a heartbreaking picture of a human being. It does not describe the individual as a person transitioning through a simple rough time. It doesn't. It does not describe that person as someone whose life is is maintaining a relatively uh, positive upward trajectory, even though they may be encountering a few bumps in the proverbial road. That's not who's described in this passage of Scripture. The The words used in verse 16 indicate an environment of darkness where the individual within it no longer moves. They no longer move. They're in a place that they don't want to be, but they do not have the power to move beyond it. They are burdened with a pain. They've been confronted with some dysfunction in their lives or their family or their mind or their heart, and it has arrested their forward momentum. They are now stationary in the evil and the darkness that has surrounded them. population of this region are people who, because of their proximity to Gentile influences and because of the distance from the cultural and religious centers of Jerusalem and Judea lived in a state of spiritual isolation and ignorance, they had an idea who God was, but it didn't move them from the places that that they were in. They had an awareness of the reality of God, but were immobilized in the shadows. The implications of this description, I believe, have deeper implications and applications beyond the obvious. The people addressed in this passage, a passage passage that is actually, in reality, a word of hope, are described as individuals who are surrounded by darkness to the point of immobility. They understand the parameters of their life only where they can feel the people who sat in darkness, those who sat in the region in the shadow of death. This is the description of a burdened condition that has become the norm in a person's life. It is an accurate description of so many today who suffer within some personal darkness even as they understand the idea of light. I believe the Lord is speaking to someone here who has come to church, who understands the context of religion, but who has not gotten past the darkness, that burden, that shadow that has afflicted their lives. You believe that sitting on a church pew is enough? I can't feel it. But at least I'll be in proximity to it. And that is not what God died on a cross to do. He did not sacrifice himself and endure the pain and humiliation so that you can exist in the shadow. God wants to step into your life this morning and transform you and transform your life in a way that you can't even comprehend. This is a place of quiet desperation, an environment which that, in which individuals have succumbed to the attitude or mentality of resigned futility. They sit or simply exist, simply exist in darkness. They exist in shadow. They have, this is what's so tragic, they have acclimated themselves to an abbreviated existence. They have grown accustomed or adapted to what? The absence of light. They are satisfied with an understanding of light, but they're living with its absence. This church does not exist as an intellectual exercise in this place. Within this place, we speak the truth of God into a darkness that wants to destroy you. When I came to church this morning, yes, I'd love to see some healing. I'd love to see God do something miraculous. We actually talked about this in my my lesson this morning. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see someone shouting because God has done something miraculous in their lives. But what I really want to see is that person who hasn't lifted their hands while everyone else is worshipped, who is burdened in their mind that they they don't see a way out of the situation that they're in. I want to see that person leaving this place with a smile on their face, with a a little hop in their step, understanding that God loves them and wants to transform them. How many have learn to navigate through the oppressive environment of mental and emotional and spiritual darkness in their lives to the point that they have become comfortable within its constraints. How many have learned how to cope with the weight of that perpetual gloom that has for so long permeated their minds? Ladies and gentlemen, you can learn to acclimate to just about any environment. You can learn to get by in just about any situation. You can endure a pain so often that you create an emotional scar over it. And you can come on into church, and you can play religion, and you can go right back home and stare that pain right in the face. And you think you're doing something right. But I'm telling you that God wants to do something tremendous in your life. He doesn't want you to exist in that pain and in that darkness and in that despair. That is the work of your adversary. He doesn't mind you going through the motions of religion, putting on the vestments of priesthood as long as you don't actually understand who you really are. those ancient people had become acclimated to the absence of the true light of God and learned to function within that deficiency. We can say a truth is that we can become acclimated to just about any condition, even if we have an understanding of an alternative to what we have learned to endure. There are certain things and types of darkness and shadow that I believe we in this modern age have become acclimated to. These are things and types of, there are types of shadows and darkness that that I'm going to treat with great sensitivity because for some, they represent the contours and context of your very lives. I want to focus on a few of those environments this morning, not to make you uncomfortable that's not my desire or remind you of your personal pain but to let you know that God sees you and wants to liberate you from that burden or shadow that has overshadowed your life and your mind and diminished you so what are these things that I, that I feel we have become adjusted to I think we have become acclimated to the absence of hope we have become comfortable to the dark environment of despair that has overtaken our society and overtaken our minds. We resign ourselves to the anemic parameters of a hopeless future. We have learned to hide from those around us the depth of our despondency. Our smiles have become masks that we hide behind so that we can function within our families and within our social groups or simply society. You put a good face on towards your family so they don't understand the pain that you're actually in. You're struggling through heartache and hopelessness, but you think it's success. You're a success because your spouse or your family don't understand what you're going through. That person that's sitting next to you on the pew doesn't know just how much pain and dysfunction is in your life. We have heard about this wonderful liberty in Christ but this bright promise of reprieve seems to those burdened by this spiritual malaise to always be something enjoyed by others. Those who have become accustomed to the absence of hope struggle to endure each day because within it there is no light. Talking to somebody this morning. We have also become acclimated to the absence of love. Those who sit in the darkness and shadow of betrayal by someone who was supposed to love them are immobilized into a position of callous cynicism toward relationship with other human beings. I was betrayed once. I'm not going to be betrayed again. They are averse Resistant to the risk associated with human interaction because of the pain suffered at the hand of another. Their capacity for love has been spoiled or contaminated by their experience. They are fixed. They are anchored into a position of distrust and pessimism the aspect of this that is so destructive is that the individuals in this position often project this abbreviated expectation of relationship and love onto God. That's because that's all they all that's all they know. They may have been attending church professing some level of belief and within the context of their lives they were abused, or betrayed, or hurt. And because of that, they just can't love God anymore. Why did He allow this to happen to me? Why is this? Because we as humans develop our understandings of relationships and love through observation and experience. Because our entire concept of love is based upon our experiences with one another. And because the reliability of fallible man is inconsistent our ability to believe in the love of God suffers. Because that person that was supposed to love me failed. I can't really trust God. For this person, the known recognizable parameters of the shadow and the darkness they live in are preferable. Listen to me, folks. They are preferable to the possibility of renewed betrayal and pain. They would rather live immobile in the darkness of a loveless life than extend themselves or make themselves vulnerable even to God because of the pain that they have endured before. What is so sad is this robs that person of a divine agape love that can solve and heal their hearts, that can elevate them beyond where they are, that can open doors of beauty that they have never experienced. That is what God has available for that person who has become acclimated to an environment that has no love. Others have become acclimated to the absence of peace and the absence of joy. Those who sit in darkness will except the fear that permeates our lives and contaminates our mind, the anxieties that have insinuated themselves into our lives. Some of us sit in the shadow of that pervasive emotional anxiety, being robbed of any real sense of contentment or mental or emotional tranquility. They suffer through the affliction of constant tension, and fear because they are surrounded by a darkness that has become the definable boundaries of their lives. They just can't see beyond it. The absence of peace and the absence of the light of God is simply the world in which they live. They have become comfortable, they have adapted, and they've gone on with life. There is a gloom that permeates their hearts, a dread that has afflicted their minds for so long that it has come to define the perception of life itself. It doesn't end there, unfortunately. Some of us have also become acclimated to the absence of truth. And that is one of the most pervasive and evil things that I can think of. We are so burdened by the lies and betrayals of culture and family and so-called friends and even in some in religion that we accept the false idea that perhaps truth is relative and that perhaps truth cannot even be defined. This church, you are standing in a place, ladies and gentlemen, that believes in the objective truth of God. We believe in the scriptural authenticity of what we preach from and read and found our, fa- and our lives and families on. God is real and He is available to you. You become paralyzed into a position of spiritual and mental immobility, afraid to confront the darkness that surrounds us because we just can't be sure of what's true anymore. You are paralyzed into immobility. We are also, be sur- we are also being surrounded by the darkness of the lies of those who wish to marginalize the very reality of God. This is done to turn man's attention from even the potential of the light. Let me articulate to you the obvious threat associated with this. If the truth of God can be called into question in a society, then both His Word and the very possibility of His intervention into your darkness will eventually be removed from the collective consciousness of that society. And that is being done in this country right now. There are forces that want to marginalize the concept of truth and make you feel foolish for believing that Jesus Christ is real. Jesus is declared, however, within the Word as truth and light if, however, the minds of mankind have become darkened to that very reality of God, then how will they recognize the light? It's going to require some divine revelation. The person who is immobile and surrounded by darkness and shadow in the verse 16 that I spoke of earlier in Matthew chapter 4 speaks to an individual who has ad- adapted to his surrounding. Because they have learned not to move. They have learned not to move. Their environment is defined by Scripture intentionally. It is a place without light. That is the definition of darkness. The absence of the only thing that it can effectively destroy it. I want you to think about what the way Scripture depicts this. They sit in a place that does not have the reality of God in it. That's what darkness is. If you think of the pressures and the pain and the darkness and the shadow that has afflicted your mind, it exists within you right now because there is an absence of the light that can dispel it. Light reveals, whereas darkness obscures. Light illuminates an environment whereas darkness conceals that very same place. This terminology in Matthew chapter 4 does not stand alone in Scripture. We see the contrast between these two incompatible states being used to bring hope to those whose lives have been shipwrecked by sin and separation from God. There is a beautiful narrative within the scripture in the book of John that I love to use and I I, I believe it, it so effectively demonstrates the grace and the mercy and capability of God's reach. Verse 12, it says, Jesus said this, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. What did he say? He said that I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall never walk in darkness but have the light of life. This verse follows one of the most beautiful practical depictions of the grace of God in the New Testament. John chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Then Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all of the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, those men who had in possession an idea of who God was, they had Scripture. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, And when they set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such be stoned. But what do you say? What do you say? I want you to understand that this woman was surrounded by people intent upon using her to advance their own agenda. They were unconcerned with her humiliation. Her life was forfeit to them. Can you explain to me, can you give me a better depiction of personal darkness than this woman? She existed in that horrible moment, in the darkness in the shadow of death, literally. Those who accused her stood with one hand clutching a stone and the other holding the law. What they did not realize is that the very God who imparted the law to Moses stood in human form right in front of them. The light which illuminates, the light which liberates, stood between this woman and the penalty of her sin. These religious men felt secure in their understanding of the law. And by extension, they felt secure in their appreciation of God's ultimate intent but they did not they did not understand they were wrong yes sin does require punishment it does we have to face this fact we have to have this realization in our lives sin does require punishment yes there is an absolute penalty associated with the stain of sin in our lives I have to stand in this pulpit and tell you that truth It's not okay for you to exist in the darkness of sin even if you come to church every Sunday. Proximity to truth, proximity to the light is not what's going to liberate you. It's the incorporation of that light into your life. Yes, the trajectory of an unrepentant sinner's life is death and separation and punishment. That's true. But there's something else at work in this story when I read it. Something that has more power than sin. Something that has more power than the sin that this woman was committing. Something with greater permanence than the work of iniquity. Something with greater force than the darkness that is the consequence of sin and the dysfunction Inflicted by this corrupt world and our choices. That thing is the light of God. Expressed in his forgiveness and his desire to reconcile you and to liberate you from the shadow of your failure, your deficiency, your pain, or your despondency. The darkness that immobilizes in an individual's life cannot oppose the light of Christ. Let me repeat that. Those of you who are existing in this bubble of darkness, that darkness cannot oppose the light of God that wants to enter your life. He is able, I'm telling someone here today, He is able to deliver you from that lifelong pain that you've endured, some of you, since you were a child. God wants to deliver you from those scars and from that pain and from that evil that has robbed you from joy. God wants to deliver you this morning. That darkness that has stained your mind and has destroyed your joy can be destroyed by the inclusion of God this morning. Praise God. You've carried that pain and you've carried that darkness for too long. God wants to do something for you this morning. The natural antagonism between darkness and light stands as a beautiful comparison between the purpose and the work of Jesus and the tortured, sin-saturated world in which so many struggle. This woman sat within the darkness of her decisions, the darkness of her error, but Jesus Christ entered, and suddenly her perspective and her future was transformed. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, they were pestering the Lord, because they had a bloodlust. He lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her." And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience, by their own hidden darkness, by that o- their own hidden shadow, Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even into the least. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. You know what is so tragic about this? That some of us think that that's the appropriate thing to happen. That those men got what they deserved. They were humiliated and they left. The problem with that, ladies and gentlemen, is that Jesus Christ loved those men too. He would have preferred for them to stay and listen and have a changed mind. Verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus' act of clemency was not predicated upon the mercy of those men. Jesus did not extend mercy because they did. It was a natural extension of who Jesus is. Some of you stand here burdened with the darkness of your mind because you were ashamed to confront it you're ashamed to lay that before the holy feet of god and what i'm trying to tell you this morning is that god is standing in front of you with open hands and an open heart and telling you give me this pain give me your darkness give me your shame give me your dysfunction so that I can transform you and show you who I really am. That's what God is trying to do to somebody here this morning. God wants to break those chains that have burdened you. And I pray that somebody here will leave this place, and as they step out of that pew, those chains stay right where they are. Praise God. seated in the dirt in front of the Holy Redeemer, in that holy place, was an unholy human being. And that is exactly where she needed to be. She sat there bereft of her dignity, humiliated. She was no longer longer clothed in anonymity. She was ashamed of what that woman didn't realize. was she was right where God wanted her to be. I don't know what burden of shame that you carry in your life. I don't know what dysfunction that you have shouldered to the point where it's comfortable on you. But I'm telling you that God wants to do something for you this morning. And you can leave this church. We're going to have an altar call in a little while as we traditionally do. And you can go through the motions or you can be transformed. You can go through the motions and slip out the back door. Or you can come up to this place and start talking to God and ask Him to step into your life and begin to make a change and begin to transform who you are. This woman was surrounded not only by the hypocritical crowd, but by the shadow and darkness that permeated her life. She sat before Jesus Christ embodying, think about this ladies and gentlemen, she sat before Jesus embodying in her, in her circumstance, the very reason the pain and sacrifice of the cross was necessary. And yet she was witness to the darkness being destroyed and the shadow being dispelled. This woman received love and grace instead of the execution that was the expected and deserved consequence of her actions. Into her darkness walked the light. Into the dysfunction walked the light. When the Lord looked into this woman's face, he could no doubt see the impending specter of the cross that she represented. And yet, in the eyes of Almighty God, manifested in flesh was not anger. His voice was not tinged with resentment. When he spoke, he did not condemn, but rather extended grace with an admonition to abstain from the corrupting influence of the thing that was destroying her life. The light dawned, and the shadows withdrew. Let's look again at our text. Verse 16 again. The people who sat in darkness, what? Have seen a great light. People who sat in darkness, immobile, comfortable, adapted, acclimated. What happened? In walked the light. And upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, something dawned in their life. Not more pain, not more darkness, but the light of God. Verse 16 at its core speaks to the transition from one state of being to another state of being by the introduction of Jesus Christ into that environment. This revelation provides hope for those who have become acclimated to hopelessness. If you have become acclimated and immobilized in the shadow of despair, I'd like to remind you of the words of Paul in Romans 15 and 13. Now may the God of what? Hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Please let the reality of God lift your heart from the desperate state of being, the desperate state of hopelessness that you're in. The Lord's desire is that you would be filled with hope and with power. Hope that denies the darkness a hold on your life. Hope that stands in direct opposition to the evidence that has beaten you into despair. This revelation also extends peace. The revelation that God wants to change you from one state of being to another extends peace into those who have become acclimated to the darkness of fear and anxiety. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible, and it's hard to pick just one, but I I, I have, this is one of them, let me put it that way. Because I might say another one is my favorite a little bit later. Who knows? But right now, this one's my favorite. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. What does it say? I've actually quoted this to some of you as you were struggling through issues in your life. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who has formed you, O Israel, Fear not. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are are mine. You are mine. You don't belong to this world. You do not belong to your adversary. You do not belong to the pain. You do not belong to the dysfunction. You do not belong to the darkness. You do not belong to the shadow. You belong to God Almighty. When you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. And through the rivers... They're not going to overflow you. When, you. when you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I, the Lord, I am the Lord, your God. These words were spoken to Israel, but you need to remember. i can get our musicians to come up. These words were spoken to Israel, but you need to remember that this promise is extended to the grafted branch. This was a promise given to Israel, but it's a promise extended to the grafted branch. This promise that I just read to you, that's your promise. As you begin to see the glimmer of light in your life, what I just read for you, you need to repeat that. You need to repeat that in the darkness of your life. Last time I checked, Jesus Christ the light of the world redeemed you not for you to stumble around in the darkness of fear but for you to be an overcomer through his power and his presence this revelation that god wants to transform your life transform your environment from darkness and the light brings real genuine love into the life of those who have become acclimated to the pain of betrayal and abuse. abuse. Those of you who have had your hearts hardened to the reality of love, I want to remind you of something profound. I want to remind you that God loves you. That God loves you. The darkness of betrayal does not have to be the permanent abode of your heart. Jesus Christ is the light, and He loves you. Let me remind you of something. Romans 5 and 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me remind you of that. While you were still in your dysfunction, while your mind was not on God, the Lord was hanging between earth and the sky Bleeding for your sins. He did that for you even though the love was not reciprocated. That's how my God loves you. Let me remind you in Romans 8 and 39, 38 and 39 it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the what? Say it again. The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Angels can't do it. Principalities can't do it. Satan himself cannot do it. Your pain cannot do it. Your darkness shouldn't be allowed to do it. You can rest in the love of God because he loves you. These are not empty words. They are not empty promises, but the light and the truth of God that can step into your life if you would make yourself vulnerable to Him, if you would stand this morning. One more revelation. There's a revelation that delivers salvation to those who have become acclimated to a life saturated with sin. I mentioned a few moments ago that our text fundamentally speaks to the transition from one state of being to another state of being by the introduction of Jesus into that environment. I'd like to expand that by saying that what is expressed in our text also reveals to us the intentions of God. I say this feeling validated by the words of Christ Himself, Luke chapter 4. It says, so He came to Nazareth, verse 14, where He had been brought up and As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophets Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty. Please pay attention to this last line. To set at liberty. To liberate. To free those who are oppressed. This is a declaration of the purpose and intent of our Lord. A declaration to enter into the environment that has immobilized you in darkness and to liberate you into His light. My statement to you this morning is very simple. As you would come around the front this morning, as is our tradition, begin to speak to the Lord. If you are destitute, if you are emotionally strung out, if you can't take another step, if there is a deep abiding darkness that has entered your life that you have become acclimated to, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, can enter your life. With his gospel, with his good news, though you may live without the great wealth of this world, you have the you have an eternity in front of you with him in paradise. If you are brokenhearted, immobile, in the darkness of a crushed heart and mind, the light of this world, Jesus Christ, can enter your life with healing. He can restore you, and you can recover. I understand the pain in your life is great. I did not know exactly who was here, but I got a little glimpse of some of the pain and some of the dysfunction and some of the darkness that you have learned to function in. And God is not satisfied with you simply functioning. He wants you to be liberated so He can be glorified in your life. It is my prayer this morning that you will open your mind and that you will open your heart to the ministry of Almighty God. It is my hope, it is my desperate hope that you will yield yourself to the one who has purposed in His self to liberate you. I make this appeal to you this morning because there is only one life. There is only one path. There is only one way through. And that is you. for you to make yourself vulnerable to God you may feel that you can't be vulnerable to anyone else for the rest of your life but I pray that this morning that you would raise your hands and open your mouth and begin to speak to the Lord who loves you who has determined in himself to liberate you today so that his power can be manifested in your life so that he can demonstrate his love in you. So that you can transition out of this desperate space, this, this place of depression and anxiety and pain. And you can walk in newness of life. I pray that you yield yourself to the Lord this morning. Don't just go through the motions, church. That's not what we're here for. This isn't just another Sunday morning. There can be a transition in your life, one that you have been on the periphery of for so often, for so long. You've been on the outside looking at the front here. But God wants to draw you into His presence and do something miraculous in your life. Yield yourself to the Lord this morning. God bless you.
1: There is...